0: Hi, I'm County Executive Barry Glassman, and whether you're on the go, in the car, or at your desk, the Conduit Street Podcast delivers your accurate local news. Podcast. Kevin Canale here, MAKO's policy associate. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by a very special guest, MAKO's research director, Robin Eilenberg, and we will be discussing school construction in Maryland. We'll discuss state and local financing. We'll take a look at eligible costs, and we will review the final recommendations of the 21st Century School Facilities Commission, also known as the NOT Commission, some of which turned into legislation, some good, some wait and see. And then we'll go ahead and take a look at ahead. We'll forecast what we can expect in the next few years for school construction in Maryland. So Robin, welcome to the program. How are you today?
1: Thank you. I'm very well. Thank you for having me.
0: In Maryland, we are very unique because the state and localities contribute to school construction funding. And in Maryland, school boards do not have the ability to raise revenue, where in many other states, the school boards can raise revenue. So it's an interesting dynamic here in Maryland. I think that's where we should start.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I think that's Good to point out. We have a unique situation here. Um, Also, I would say because our county lines essentially serve as our school districts, Mm -hmm. we have relatively large school districts as compared with many other um, states in the country. And there's a lot of potential positives Mm -hmm. (laughs) to that scenario. One you know, positive that that we have experienced over many years is a strong partnership with the state government in building schools. And then another side of that are just the economies of scale that can be gained from having those large districts. So you might have more expertise developed within the school district itself, and you can have projects that are essentially repeated, um, maybe not exactly the same, but. Um, very similar projects within the within the districts, and you're getting real, real economies and efficiencies um, through that process. So, over the many years, there's been a partnership between the states and the counties in building schools, and that partnership, I I, I would say, you know, I'm relatively new to this area. I've been working for the past five years or so in school construction, but I would say over those five years, the relationship. Has experienced some strains because costs of school construction um, have really increased, and it's there's a variety of reasons why. Um, it's not just because schools are becoming more expensive as far as their technology, uh, you know, the building itself, and also what goes into it, um, but also because of the construction market itself post-recession.
0: Sure. So we know in Maryland, the state does contribute to school construction funding, but that contribution varies from a minimum of 50% to a maximum of 100%, depending on what county you're in. And I think that's the state attempting to equalize a county's wealth, to create equality in funding across the state. But those percentages are not set in stone because the state does not consider all construction costs as eligible for its funding, right? We know that many costs of construction are excluded from the formula before the percentage is even applied. So Robin, when we're talking about eligible costs here, what exactly are we talking about and why is this an issue and has become even more of an issue over the recent years?
1: Yes, yeah, so we see a similar you know, formula that's sort of wealth-based state funding um, in in various other subjects, not just school construction. But um, just as you said, that is the scenario here where the state's providing more funding um, to some jurisdictions based on where they rank uh, according to the state's wealth formula. But these percentages, as they're laid out, actually belie (laughs) the fact that the entire school construction project costs more um, than the state is contributing t- towards. So there are only some costs that the state considers eligible for its funding, and those primarily relate to the cost of building the structure itself. So costs that are ineligible, that, that do not qualify for any state funding, um, no matter where you lie on the wealth formula, include movable equipment, furnishings, and artwork, And they also include architectural and engineering fees and other ancillary construction costs like permits and test borings and soil analysis and inspections. And
0: we know that that can be very expensive. And we also know that a lot of the time it's not what's on the outside that's important. It's what's on the inside, especially as technology continues to evolve. But Robin, in terms of site planning and architectural designs and engineering, that has become more difficult as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have new regulations that are becoming more stringent. And mm-hmm. so not only the technology inside the building costs more money that the state is not contributing to, but also this engineering, this architectural work that's going on outside has become more burdensome and thus more expensive.
1: Yeah, things are really changing in our schools. And if and if you visited you know a local high school that's been recently built. Then you know this. It's it's the exterior of the facility that looks different. If you really take a close eye um, to the to where it sits, and then the interior is just almost mind-blowingly different. I mean, I I walk into some of these high schools and I feel like I'm at a college. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, So we've had a lot of changes in school construction. Technology and regulations and just contemporary building techniques have pushed, and those include stormwater remediation of the site and energy efficiency standards that we have written into state law and other environmental building practices that are either... Written into state code, or required by um, lead certification, or just have become standards in the construction industry. So those have increased engineering and architectural fees, maybe in in particular. And again, to to restate, you know, what got us to this discussion: architectural and engineering fees are a hundred percent the county government's burden and responsibility with regard to school construction the state does not contribute any money towards those expenses you know these other areas that the state does not contribute towards includes movable equipment and furnishings well back in the day we had a lot more built-ins mm-hmm. in our schools but the trend now and the push both from the perspective of curriculum and what we know about modern education needs and from an interest in actually efficiency down the line and being able to, to shift our classrooms is not in built-ins. It's in more modular um, movable type of equipment. So there might be a need, and we would say there is a need for reconsidering what should be eligible for state funding and what shouldn't considering contemporary building techniques modern curriculum and and all of that another you know glaring example of this is just use of laptops and tablets right um, laptops and tablets are not only used by our students they're sort of the the modern library but also you know a lot of the the building's own infrastructure, the security system, the HVAC controls these might now be wireless and be controlled remotely and that's a that's a good thing but it's another reason why we might need to revisit what our consideration of eligible costs are so that we're sure that the state's contributing as well as the counties to things that are really integral, to the facility nowadays,
0: yeah. So you used to have the thermostat on the wall; you'd go up and adjust it. Now you will just be on a tablet. And so, as technology continues to evolve, as curriculum and needs continue to evolve, we're hopeful that the eligible costs will evolve as well. And Robin, we do have some good news on that front, right? We'll talk a little bit later about the the final recommendations of the Not Commission, but let's talk a little bit about what they've said moving forward. Here, they have said, "Look." every two years we're going to look at the eligible costs right so this gives us a little bit of hope moving forward that maybe the state will reconsider some of these costs that they consider as of now to be ineligible
1: it's something it's going to bring that list um, you know up for consideration pretty frequently there are you know there can be winners and losers as we say on this list there will be counties that are shifting both up and down so we can't say that across the board, that's a positive from year to year, but yes, um, it is bringing the list and its meaning up for consideration and into the limelight at the interagency commission on school construction
0: so this issue is being talked about more in public forums we're hearing this issue more, so that bringing light to this certainly can't hurt its cause in terms of the state considering what cost to be eligible and which should not
1: and then with regard to the interest in in representing wealth accurately and making sure that the state is attaining its aim of wealth equalizing across the counties. There has been, there have been discussions, informal discussions about updating the underlying formula that defines this list defines, you know, who's getting a hundred percent and who's getting 50 and everything in between. Um, that formula is so complicated that I don't want to talk about it here. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can link it on on the follow up article and um, and you can read it if you're an insomniac. It might be helpful. Yeah, no,
0: (laughs) if if you're if you're wonks like we are, I think uh, you may want to read it. And I know you have a really great analogy that I have heard you use a few times. Talk about that. I think that's a really nice way to explain this.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, just on the uh, spinning off the idea of this partnership, imagine going to say even a a fancy restaurant Mm -hmm. with a friend Um, and you're, you're sitting down for the meal, you, you're ordering certain things off of the menu and you, you know, when you sort of open it up and you see what you're in for, you agree, you know, let's just go Dutch. We'll split this. Um, and then you enjoy a lovely meal. The check comes. Um, and when the check comes, your, your friend across the the table says, well, I know, you know, we said we'd split these costs, but, I really didn't eat much of the bread and butter. Um, I'm a vegetarian, so my entree was much cheaper. I'm driving us home, so I drank less wine. And I'm really not a big tipper, and I wasn't impressed with their service, so I'm not paying more than 5% of that. You know, you end up paying three-quarters of the bill just to get out of the restaurant. And... You know, we'd like to have some clarity with regard to what that what that final bill is and how we can have a partnership with a state that's stronger than that friendship.
0: (laughs) So the state is your friend in that scenario, in case people didn't realize. But yeah, I think just the clarity and knowing up front exactly what this is going to be so we don't have any surprises at the end of the process. That's Mm -hmm. what we're asking for. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the not Commission who addressed a lot of these issues. They've been studying this for a long time. They released final recommendations, some good, some wait and see. We'll get into that and we'll get into what we can expect moving forward. All that and more after the break. Welcome back to the podcast. Kevin Canali here with Robin Eilenberg. Robin, we talked a little bit about the 21st Century School Facilities Commission and as to county impacts of that bill. Some good, some wait and see. Is that right?
1: Yes, I think that's, that's a good way to portray it. There was a lot left up in the air with the bill, but there were some firm positives there. The bill did state, you know, set forth an annual school construction funding goal by the state of $400 million a year. And even though that's not far off from what the state has been doing in recent years, it's nice to have that in writing, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I would, I would say... It's a goal, uh, so it's not Absolutely. a mandate, but it's still nice to have it written down. I mean, the last time we saw, you know, something to strive for, I believe it was, the goal was $2 billion over eight years, which is, you know, only about $250 million a year. So this is a, you know, healthy boost from that. And again, it's nice to see it in writing.
0: So even though it's not a mandate, it is a goal, but it, it, it's significant that they've put that in writing. Mm-hmm.
1: I think so. Um, They also said something that might be considered down the road, which we can talk about um, when when we get to the the pieces of the bill that, that weren't written in stone. Another thing that the legislation did was a lot of streamlining of school construction reviews. And this is an area where, you know, the construction field where time is money. So if we can reduce the sort of Hurdles uh, and the, and the time spent on getting approvals from the state—that's meaningful uh, from a budget standpoint for some of our local jurisdictions building schools, and especially those jurisdictions who have internal or you know home-based construction review processes themselves. It allows them some flexibility, um, and that's a real positive. Right. The big the big change and the big change, you know, that this bill enacted, um, which was really in the news and <laughs> you've, you've already heard about it, is that it it recreated this interagency committee on school construction into an independent commission, um, and and the whole commission was was reappointed, and that. Entity now uh, will be an independent authority um, within the state government that has a school construction purview similar to what was previously held by the Board of Public Works. So actually allocating um, funding for school construction. And that's a real shift.
0: Right. And we talked about that if you on this podcast before. That was very political. I think a lot of advocates that were working with the 21st Century School Facilities Commission were sort of thrown by that and how political that got. But at the end of the day, those changes were part of the bill. That's not something that MAKO advocated for. We were not involved in that process, but nevertheless, it became a part of the of the bill.
1: Yeah, we, we were glad, um, considering how many bits of the bill uh, we did support, that it didn't actually sink the final <laughs> legislation, yeah, because there's much, much work that went into this. Um, the not commission, the 21st century school facilities commission headed by Martin not, and, um, really did like a yeoman's job in this area. They did a deep dive into school construction over, over several years. And our representation on that commission was strong and very vocal. So we were pleased with a lot of the the smaller pieces of the bill. So some of those pieces include changes to alternative financing laws, that reduce hurdles to public-private partnerships in school construction. We have several counties that are interested in pursuing public-private partnerships, and this – Legislation will expand the types of public-private partnerships that they can improve to include design, build, operate, finance, and maintain schools. And it will also streamline some of those approvals and ensure that there's a a county government role in the transactions and and the contracts that the boards of ed are entering into. Another small area that we've Spoken about for years at Mako is lead certification. Counties are interested in having strong, you know, environmental standards for the facilities that they build. And frankly, a lot of these environmental standards or environmental requirements are becoming standard throughout the construction industry. But that extra step of obtaining the lead certification can add additional dollars. So this legislation will will ask the state to look. At creating an in-house standard for environmental building um, that would allow counties to obtain that alternative um, to the LEED certification.
0: And Robin, we also saw a waiver process for lease payments, and that would allow those payments to be kept out of maintenance of effort, right? And, And we've hit on maintenance of effort before on this podcast, but essentially that means whatever you put into school funding this year, you need to put at least that amount in next year, right? So talk a little bit about why this waiver process for lease payments is important.
1: Sure. We had multiple um, individual pieces of legislation on this over the years that MAKO supported um, various sponsors um, that really never got all the way through the General Assembly, never got to that final passage step. But the issue with, with lease payments and maintenance of effort is that if you enter into a lease, the lease eventually ends. Right. But you don't want your maintenance of effort payment to be at this artificially high level forever, even after the lease is over. So if I, um, you know, go and and rent an apartment for for three or five years, then I don't want to continue to pay the landlord after those three or five years are up just because I was paying him that amount while I lived there. When we're no longer loo- using the facility, we want to be able to subtract that from our maintenance of effort payment. Um, so this bill would allow a waiver process for consideration of those lease amounts to be excluded from maintenance of effort, either from the start or or, or at the finish So of that's the a lease. pretty big deal.
0: I mean, that's a multi-year process that Mako has been advocating for that, and it's really nice to see that in the final report.
1: Yeah. And then another small area is... The emergency sheltering regs, there was a standard that every school um, generally should be built as an emergency shelter. Um, And this law allows some deference to the local emergency management officials with regard to whether or not that shelter Needs to be located at a at a school, or whether there's al- already sufficient sheltering capacity, or whether that school is not a, a good location for a shelter. Um, could be various reasons for that, including um, being located in the floodplain or not on an evacuation route, et cetera.
0: So those are some of the you know pieces of this bill that Mako's been advocating for for a long time. But Robin, there are also some pieces that didn't make it into the bill. Maybe some of the smaller pieces that we've also been advocating for for years. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that the IAC is not going to look at this down the road. I know in terms of prevailing wage, we know they're going to take a look at that. We could do a deep dive on prevailing wage, but this essentially means that if the state puts a certain amount of money into a project, you have to pay higher wages for the contractors, for the workers that are working on that project, Robin. So what exactly... Did we see with prevailing wage, are they going to maybe look at this down the road? Because I know this is an issue that uh, we've been talking about for a number of years as well.
1: Yes, there was a a requirement for a work group um, in this legislation that will examine the effect of prevailing wage laws, um, but that that work group wouldn't need to finish up its work for a couple years. So this is down the road. Um, But still, it's a... It's a little foothold there in an issue that uh, our counties have experienced as truly increasing overall project costs. Um, an increase to that, that labor portion of the construction costs, um, has, has been borne out to be meaningful. Um, we have some counties that are on the edge of being required to apply prevailing wage. And those counties, um, some of them have bid out the project both ways with prevailing wage and without. And, and there you have um, some evidence of the cost differences. But some are seeing like 10, 10 to 14 percent. I think I've seen all those numbers quoted.
0: Significant numbers. And so while this hasn't, you know, been addressed at the moment, at least we know that they're going to take a look at this down the road. Robin, what else here maybe didn't make it into the bill? You know, some of the smaller items that we've been advocating for for a while.
1: There's a smaller item, and then there are um, a couple of real sort of elephant-in-the-room type items. But uh, you know, another smaller item akin to prevailing wage is that question of eligible costs, which we spoke of earlier. There's really not a lot on eligible costs here. There, there was some language on eligible costs in the original bill, but that language was ultimately struck. And the only bit that remains is the requirement for one of the work groups to consider the state increasing eligible costs in a very specific circumstance where the average cost of construction is particularly low. Um, So there's not a whole lot on eligible costs there. But as we spoke about in the program previously, I think there's a lot of reasons um, why eligible costs might um, be Coming into the limelight over the next couple of years,
0: and we have heard folks around town talking more about eligible costs, right, Robin? I think mm-hmm. we heard Treasurer Cop mention that mm-hmm. uh, at a recent meeting of CDAC, mm-hmm. Capital Debt Affordability Committee. Uh, we've heard, we've seen it, as you said, referenced in this, in these recommendations from mm-hmm. this not commission. So I think you're right. This is going to become a lively topic moving forward, and that's mm-hmm. really great to see.
1: Right. Yeah, and then a couple um, to get back to the to the big ones. Um, there's there's elephants in the room. There was a lot of concern that this 21st century facilities act might say something big about how the state is going to redistribute its funding. Um, there's been a big push by the new director of the public school construction program to have a statewide facility assessment, and the concern then stems from that. Because if we have every facility in the state sort of ranked in order of its facility needs, then will that list be used to distribute state funding instead of a list that's of locally developed priorities um, by each local education agency, by each school board, and also, you know, seen by the counties and and known by the constituents, et cetera, et cetera. So there wasn't really language in this bill dictating how that school facilities assessment might be incorporated into funding decisions. Instead, the bill lays out a work group uh, to consider how that uh, how that study might be used in, in future decisions. And that work group I don't believe it's been convenient. There is maker representation on the work group. The facilities assessment itself, I believe the goal is to wrap that up this coming summer. So, you know, July 19, after which point that work group will likely um, pick up their work and their report is due in December 2019. Another thing that might have been in this bill that, you know, those watching the commission and watching how much they were digging into the area of school construction, into these details might've thought, well, they're really going to change the state's educational specification. They're, they're going to get in there and, and say, you know, a school should only be so large and a gym should only be so large and a hallway only needs to be so wide. And, um, you know, this is the type of lighting and, and, and this is the type of HVAC and that sort of thing. But that work wasn't presented as part of this bill, and instead there was another work group set up to look at the state's educational specification and to consider, I think, the question, which was bandied about quite a bit, which is, is the state overbuilding schools as a state? Um, yeah, you could say the same. Are the counties overbuilding mm-hmm, schools? Mm-hmm. So are we overbuilding? Are we building Cadillacs when we really only need Chevrolets? Right. I mean, that's the that's the metaphor that was out there. Um, so I think that, that work group has a lot on its plate. The IAC earlier this week did appoint that work group um, from the Senate. It's Senators Ferguson and Rosa Pep and from the House Delegates Chang and Greist. And then there are various uh, facility planners and experts um, from the architecture field also on that work group. So it'll be interesting to watch what they're doing.
0: Also, I think it's interesting to mention this was a hot topic. It still is a hot topic, school safety. This final bill did add a school safety grant program of $10 million, and that was a piece of the funding the General Assembly had in other areas to address school safety in Maryland. So I think that's significant.
1: Yeah, that was that was added on on the end. Um, but definitely a topic that the General Assembly is taking seriously. And I think, um, you know, for better or worse, that'll be a part of our future planning um, for schools going forward for many years.
0: Okay, Robin, so what do you think we can expect moving forward here? We mentioned eligible costs. We think they're going to take a closer look there. What do we think about increased state funding for school construction? Are you pessimistic there, optimistic? We talked about the $400 million It's in writing now. That's good to see. But in terms of the state increasing state funding for school construction, where do you think we are right now?
1: Yeah, it's my sense that the state will adhere to that goal of $400 million. So it, that they will take that seriously, even though it's not written as any sort of requirement, um, but that they will really strive to, to meet that and to essentially continue at the level, maybe with a slight increase of where they are. Um, Going forward, I am optimistic that we're going to be gaining more and more transparency with regard to school construction costs. And and so we're gonna see have a better reflection of the eligible cost discussion that we had earlier. We're gonna have more clarity with regard to the effect of prevailing wage. And hopefully those discussions will drive a more level partnership between state and, and counties for for school construction funding as we continue I also think that and there's some language with regard to this in the uh, 21st century act that we will see more um, regional projects potentially in the vocational tech ed you know probably for our for our high schools for our older students um, I think that's a significant possibility and we could see some public-private partnerships that um, that make those work and in very interesting ways preparing our students for all different parts of the workforce
0: I know the Kerwin Commission the Commission on innovation and excellence in education is very interested also in in you know technical training and you know, reducing the stigma that comes with kids who might necessarily not want to go to a four-year school if they want to go and do some different types of training, some vocational training. I think that's great. I think we need to promote uh, tech and vocational training. I think it's awesome. So Robin, Mako, again, we have had education initiatives over the years. Counties are certainly providing a lot of money for capital and operational funding. We've been asking the state to do the same. So this year, we've sort of developed a joint education initiative, right? We're talking about capital and operating costs, and so we're advocating for the state to continue its strong commitment to school construction.
1: Yes, yes, and um, we'll just see, you know, what direction we want to go when we push for this. Um, I think the the numbers will will bear out the fact that counties have made very strong contributions to the school construction area um, over the past several years, and and that the needs are ever. Increasing.
0: And in terms of operational funding, with the Kerwin Commission, the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education, we expect their final report to be finished this December. So, going into the next legislative session, I think the viewpoint of counties is that whatever those recommendations are, we'd like to see all boats rise. We don't want to see a winners and losers situation. So, we're going to keep that in mind with this initiative. And I think we have flexibility within the initiative. When the General Assembly comes into session and we start seeing bills coming in, that's when we'll be able to pivot and advocate, you know, both on capital and operating side of of funding. Absolutely. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Conduit Street Podcast. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, give us a like, share it with your friends. It really helps get our message out. For Robin Eilenberg, Kevin Canale signing off. We will talk to you soon.